This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ladies and gentlemen, we have a big show, a real big shoe. Live from Joe's mom's basement, it's The Stacking Benjamin Show. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and not only are the kids going back to school, we're sending you back to school, too. Here to share your steps to financial freedom, no matter what grade you're in, we welcome from the Don't Retire, Graduate podcast, CFP Eric Brotman. Plus, wonder why your financial advisor never texts you? That may be changing, and we'll explain why in our headline segment. And of course, later, we'll toss out the Haven Lifeline to a lucky stacker and gurgle down some soft drink-related trivia. And now, two guys who are only 4% away from achieving the 4% rule with their retirement money, it's Joe and O-J-J-J-J-G. That means we're 96% of the way there, OG, right? Uh, 4D, 4D percent. Wait a minute. If we're 4% away from achieving the 4% rule, we're 96% of the way to the 4% rule, right? Yeah. Isn't that the math? Doug misread. Am I getting the math wrong? 40% away. Yeah. We're 40% away. I don't think. <laughs> hey, everybody. Welcome to the Math for the Win podcast. I'm Joe Saul Hi, Average Joe Money on Twitter. It's Wednesday, OG. Can you believe we're halfway through the week? Round in the corner. Kids back to school. We're sending you back to school as well today. My kids have been in school for two weeks. So they're like veterans. Coming back from the front lines of middle school, high school, and how much you've got all three covered now, don't I, you? I got I got lower school, middle school, and high school. Excellent, because nothing I like better than dropping off at three different places. I got a punch card. It's fantastic. A well, few we're gonna... more, and I get an ice cream cone. <laughs> it seems like instead of an ice cream cone, they give you like a free uniform. You know, you put two kids in school uniforms, you get the third one free. No, as a matter of fact, what they do do, which is really. I think sort of more irritating than actually not even having it is they go for the third kid, we're going to give you $200 off. <laughs> the $200 is not noticeable and it's quite annoying actually. But it is the thought that counts OG. And speaking of thoughts, Eric Brotman here, 
he's going to help you think about graduate. I, I like this idea about don't retire, graduate. Move on to the next thing. Yeah. Who wants to retire? And Eric's going to talk about that. So whether you're just beginning with your money, you're in your teens or your twenties, you're listening, you're maybe your thirties, you're a sophomore. You know what? Screw that OG. You can be a freshman in your fifties and sixties. Age doesn't matter. Just go to the next level, baby. We got him today, but first we got a very interesting kind of behind the scenes of financial planning headlines. So let's get this party started. Hello, darlings. And now it's time for your favorite part of the show, our stacking Benjamin's headlines. You know, according to the uh, student loan department, you're a freshman well into your 50s anyway. So, oh, look, these aren't that going for you. These aren't interest only payments anymore. And I'm 67. We'll just take it from your social security freshman. Oh, man. Hey, uh, our headline today comes to us from investmentnews.com. This is written by Nicole Casperson. She writes such great stuff. Nicole writes, texting takes center stage in client communications. Nicole begins with client communications becoming critical to a growing business, spurring some wealth tech firms to launch tools to quickly engage with clients where they spend most of their time on their smartphones. Two prominent fintechs announced plans to launch text messaging services that let advisors reach out to clients using predetermined text messages that have been reviewed in advance by the Financial Industry Regulatory Authority, Inc., FINRA, they call boring. it, to ensure compliance. Why do you think it's boring? Ugh. Compliance is going to sign off on all my text messages. Oh, yes. Hello, sir or ma'am. Thank you. Wherefore, thou unto pertaining. This is not boring news you're saying. This is the stuff that is pre-approved. Well, Seven. you know, what's funny is that most people don't know this story. You, of course, do. Which is, when we started this show 10 years ago, there was an issue with compliance in FINRA. And it was just easier to not have any sort of linking with OG and our planning business and just run this completely separate. Part of the reason was, we it was really important to me that Stag and Benjamins and at the time the other shows, you know, weren't a glorified marketing pitch or something like that was something that was really important to me. But the other side of it was, the pure compliance side of it was... Un, uh, it was just, it was untenable. It was, I remember, uh, you probably don't remember this, but I remember talking to them and going, hey, yeah, this is what we're thinking about doing. They're like, yeah, sounds like a great idea. Uh, so we just need everything scripted and uh, we'll review the scripts and then we'll sign off on any changes. And then after you get done with it, then we'll uh, approve it and then you can launch it. And I'm like, cool, how long does that all take? They're like, about 30-ish days for each one. I go, well, we do three a week. And sometimes we do them the day of <laughs> or the day before. <laughs> Like, well, that one, you can you can launch that one. So it just, like the technology, the way that the business is going, the way that the world is going is not, that those things are not keeping up with, with what the government thinks it should be. And so now if I work for Merrill or Morgan or Ameriprise or some big company that's regulated by FINRA, I can finally send text messages as long as they're one of these six approved. Hi. And the te- <laughs> right. And the text message is really personal. Hello, Mr. Client. And can you imagine the disclosure at the bottom? <laughs> it's like, it's like, happy birthday. Securities offered by Merrill Lynch. It's just like, like page, it's like two pages of text message, like security era disclosure. Shit. Disclaimer at the end. Oh my God. Oh. Well, and it is, it is frustrating and people don't realize this, that advisors have so many things that they can't do because, and rightfully so, 
these companies don't know which advisors are going to say the right things, which ones are going to get the, themselves and the company in a lot of hot water. So I agree with the respect for making sure there's responsible financial planning and financial planning discussions going on and stuff not going off the deep end. Yet, sure, financial planning discussions would be fine, but regulating text messages, okay. What can you do and not do on a text message? I know that you can't take orders via text message, can you? whatever you? I want. You can. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, being independent, you just have to follow the rule of don't be an idiot. Do what's in your client's best interest. But when you're a broker, which is what FINRA regulates, is the broker side of things, they have much more specific regulations. And then each company is going to also manage to the lowest common denominator there as well. And just try to figure out like, where is one person going to foul up or say something they shouldn't or do something they shouldn't and then put a restriction in that? We can't send out more than one letter that says the exact same thing because if you send a one-off letter to a client, like, okay, fine. If you send a hundred of them and they all say the wrong thing, then we're in trouble. So they've got rules to say that you have to have your letters approved in advance. It's just, it's just, it's just not keeping up. That's all it is. When it comes to client communication, the game has changed. I want to pivot just a little bit here, OG, because I know that for a lot of advisors, uh, studies done recently talk about how the game has changed. In fact, people want increased communication because of COVID. And this is a study by Smart Asset that uh, is in a piece on Yahoo Finance written by Stephanie Horan. A big thing here, though, is that video calls are here to stay. Over 30% of financial advisors expect to connect with clients via video call, even after social distancing mandates are lifted. I feel like the way that we're communicating with clients or advisors are on the technology front, really, COVID's kind of been a game changer for a lot of advisors. Yeah, for some people, it was you know kind of a nightmare. But if you were already virtual or if you're already using technology, I think it you know just kind of accentuated it. I Obviously, when we moved from Michigan to Dallas, it was kind of a big change. <laughs> I remember like like all of our Michigan clients were much more, you know, a lot of them would prefer to have those in-person type visits. And I was talking to somebody, uh, I don't know, within the last year. And I said, boy, I'd really like to get to Michigan. <laughs> They're like, no, it's cool. You stay where you are. We're going to stay where we are. We got these little computer thing. We can do it that way. They like it better. <laughs> it's better, you know. Well, it's easy. They don't have to get in the car and go to the office anymore. Well, it's know? like our coach, our friend Dan Sullivan says, Zoom is a time machine. It's a travel machine. It takes away all of the friction associated with traveling, not necessarily the friction associated with, um, you know, actually the meeting. Hold on a second. So Doug's calling. You want to put him on? Dude, you're taking phone calls in the middle of the show. Hey, Doug's late. He's probably calling in. Hey, Doug. Dude, you're upstairs. What are you doing? It's a long way down there, and I'm tired. I had to walk all the way over here. Are you kidding me? I feel like going down into the dank basement. You got like four minutes until we do the trivia. You got to put down the donut and get your butt down here. All right. Look, on my time, the show revolves around me, so I'm sure it'll all work out. Hey, we're in the middle of having a discussion about uh, client communication, and I'm very curious on your end. We were talking, Doug, about client communication, and I know that uh, you have a financial advisor who helps you manage the debt payments on the El Camino. 
Have you felt like the pandemic's changed the game on the way you communicate with your advisor? Yeah, I, I think my advisor seems to be a lot more communicative during the pandemic than before. I think everybody's gotten a lot more comfortable with virtual communications in the pandemic, and it just makes it easier for people to have detailed, you know, substantive conversations over the telephone or video than they did before the, the pandemic. Your personal findings, Doug, go right along with the survey we're talking about. More than 41% of advisors report that they communicated more frequently with clients during the pandemic, while less than 3% say the frequency of communication decreased. I kind of feel like that 3% is about to lose a bunch of clients. Warning. Yeah. Warning. See, this is why I don't need to listen to the show. I, I mean, I, I know I have my finger on the pulse of this industry. I understand what's happening I, I, intuitively. Ouch. Got to go, man. Got to go make the show interesting. On, on that note, with friends like you, get your butt back down here because we're about to do the trivia. Yeah, soon. Okay. Another piece of this study, and this is a big tangent, is the two things people wanted to talk about during the pandemic. Ready for it? Almost 42%. Cite client concerns about stock market volatility. That was number one. It sucks when the stock market goes straight up. God, I hate that. I, I hate when it goes up all the time. It's exactly what we talked about Monday, the difference between perception and reality, right? And this is actually, I think, the key of having, and I don't care if it's a licensed financial advisor, just having somebody to talk to that isn't you, isn't emotionally invested in your goals, that walks you off that ledge and goes, hey, this is not reality because number two is not reality either. 22% clients nervous about political events. And while don't get me wrong, political events are real. I remember so many people. But they never end. Right. It never ends. There's a political event du jour. Yeah. Whatever, whatever you were concerned with in September and October a year ago. Oh, if this person wins, then definitely this is going to happen. If this person wins, then this definitely is going to happen. Well, here we are eight, 10 months later. Whatever happened, happened. And now there's more craziness. Oh, and now this person's doing this thing, and that thing's not going the way that that person thought, and that person better watch out because that person's going to come for that person's job. And you'll see in a year from now, then that person's going to do that person's thing, and then those people are totally screwed. We're, it's going to be horrible for all of oh, us. Oh, we should all go to cash. And gold. And Bitcoin. How many times does that happen during your career? I actually saw something the other day that somebody posted, and I love the spin. It was like, the economy is collapsing. The Federal Reserve is printing money like crazy. Silver is down 50%. What a great opportunity. <laughs> now, could you imagine if you wrote that and you said that in March of last year? Hey, the Federal Reserve is printing money. <sighs> Stocks are down 40%. Now's the time to get in. Most but people did. We were reading it nonstop. The people that were interviewed did. I can guarantee you the vast majority of people did not. Yeah. I, I know that there's lots of people who did and certainly the people who listened no, no, to it. No, no, no. I'm not talking about people doing it. I'm talking about people were writing that. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We were talking about that on the show a year ago. How many people were writing about all these, hey, you got to get out. You got to you gotta move. And, and remember the no, I'm discussion? Getting in. getting in. Well, I'm talking about, yeah, but you're talking about getting into silver. Right. We're saying the same thing. We're fighting like old married people at Applebee's. <laughs>
Do you know what's bad about this survey though? While those two things that you can do nothing about, you can't do anything about stock market volatility. You can't do anything about political events. My two favorites at a small fraction of those top two cash flow changes during the pandemic. Yeah, big That's time. a good one to talk about. Only 12% of people wanted to talk to their advisor about that. And then 10% changes in their retirement timeline. How does this change my retirement timeline? Which I think is another great question to ask. Like take these things that are out there. You can do nothing about and say, okay, how can I do something with this? Last thing on here again, let's just pivot one more time on this. There's a piece from a technology company called Benjamin. I don't know if you're familiar with them. OG there. Uh, Did we have a spinoff? Communication strategies for financial advisors, talking about good practices for financial advisors. Good financial advisor will set the tone from the beginning where they establish mutual expectations. I think if you're going to work with a pro talking about communication, that's the number one thing. Know how often your advisor, you expect them to call you? When is it appropriate to call them? What are they going to do? What are they going to handle? I think that fencing is super important, don't you? Like in terms of the parameters, like the rules of the road is what you mean? Yeah. yeah. Right right away. Yeah. Let's set the rules of the road and then nobody's confused later on. Yeah. Because most of the time when I hear people not getting along with their advisor, it's because they expected their advisor to do something or not do something. And their advisor did something that wasn't in the parameters they expected. Number two, personalize your interactions. You know, it's funny. Finra when is going to help uh, that on the text messages. <laughs> Dear sir or Hello. ma'am. <laughs> if it is your birthday today, I wish you a happy birthday. If it is not. Happy generic time of day. Happy insert day here. Yeah. Meet them where they want to be met. Use the tools we talked about like Zoom, yeah. texting, those types of things. There is a reason why you don't hear from your advisor, as much as you see other people doing things on TikTok, though, I think for everybody, realizing there's compliance and realizing that there's uh, responsible communication going on. Like podcasting. Yes. Uh, other ways to communicate. I'll link to all these and our show notes page. will also have, uh, Brooke, of course, will have lots of links to more communication strategies and discussions on our guide, which is free. Our guide to the show, stackingbenjamins.com forward slash stacker. Finally, look who's coming down the stairs. It is about a time. mouthful of donuts. I don't know how he's going to read that. <laughs> because I know we got Eric Brotman upstairs getting ready to come down to the basement. Super excited to talk to him about graduating, not retiring. So Doug, what you got for us? Stackers, I'm Joe's bomb's neighbor Doug, and I was searching for some related trivia on account of Eric Brotman being here to send us out to finance school. I thought it'd be fun to also throw in some history and noticed that Paris was liberated on this date in 1944. I bet you're as surprised as I am to know that Paris, Texas, needed to be liberated in the first place. I mean, who would take over that place? It's basically in the middle of nowhere. Here in Texarkana, we take our shots at other Texas towns anytime we can get them in. Anywho, I need to research this whole liberation thingy, but before I do, did you know that a very famous soft drink got its start in Paris, Texas? Which one was it? I'll be back with your answer faster than you can crack open a cold one for yourself. Of a soft drink. Well, 
Well, I don't know if you know this, OG, but when you become a member of Navy Federal Credit Union, life gets a ton better. I am aware of that, actually. It is amazing when you go buy a car and you use Navy Federal. You actually went to the Navy Federal app and said, bam, it works very quickly to help bam. make the car buying I'll easy. I'll take a car and a house and a credit card. Wait, I got to pay for this? What's up with that? Son of a biscuit. That's why Navy Federal created this fully loaded car buying experience. You can finance, buy, protect, and enjoy your auto purchase all through one convenient place. They have low rates and pre-approval if you need a loan for that car. And it's good for 90 days. So you know what you can afford when you shop. You start off with your budget and then you work backwards. And by the way, don't work from the payment. You don't walk into the car dealership and go, I can afford $86 a month. Yeah. Start off with the payment because that's what they love. Hey, good news. Uh, I've got a car. It's going to be $86 a month. And this is a convenient 82-year loan. It's fantastic. It comes with two wheels and half a steering wheel. <laughs> you can save thousands off MSRP with Navy Federal's car buying service powered by TrueCar. Also get exclusive member savings with Carfax, Geico, and Sirius XM. Learn more at NavyFederal.org forward slash car buying. It's NavyFederal.org. I like calling it NavyFederal.org like I did that one time. It just, you got to get the pirate thing in there with Tom Navy like Federal. The day. Yes, NavyFederal.org forward slash car buying credit and collateral subject to approval. Your actual savings off MSRP may vary. Navy federal credit union is federally insured by NCUA. This episode is sponsored by state farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget. Well, look no further than state farm. State farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business when it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Well, if you're new to Stacking Benjamins, you may not know that I've tried out a lot of personal finance apps. I like to be a guinea pig and try out all these things. So I know what I'm talking about when it comes to uh, what's helpful and what isn't helpful. And the app that I've used the longest has been Monarch Money. And it's because Cheryl and I, my spouse, were able to collaborate together. We can work on our goals together and our budget and our goals are right next to each other on the app. It is clearly the next generation of personal finance apps. So what is it? Monarch is the top-rated, all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. You create custom budgets, track progress toward financial goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now, because you're a stacker, you'll get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash Benjamins. I love the fact that we get to collaborate. I love the fact that it's customizable. And I also love that it's this ad-free privacy you can trust. They never sell your data to third parties or show you ads. After trying out Monarch myself, I totally get why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, because you're a stacker, you're going to get an extended 30-day free trial to try it out like I try out many different apps. And this one was sticky for me because, well, you'll see when you try out the 30-day free trial. Go to monarchmoney.com slash benjamins. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash Benjamins for your extended 30-day free trial. 
there, history students. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Duggan. Crisis averted. The calendar wasn't talking about Paris, Texas. I knew that. I knew it. But rather, some other place called Paris, France. If someone as sharp as me could fall for this, can you imagine how many other people have botched this holiday? Well, consider this just another complaint against those jokers over there at the Holiday Calendar Association. Even though our trivia isn't exactly on theme anymore, it's now a little awkward. So I'm just going to get you the trivia answer and we'll get this over with. Question was, did you know that a very famous soft drink got its start in Paris, Texas? Which one was it? Although ultimately going on to be founded in Waco, Texas, the recipe for a little soft drink called Dr. Pepper was initially conceived in Paris, Texas. Enough from me. Let's get this over to CFP Eric Brotman so you can graduate from your job with a little more money. Doug's class is dismissed. And here he comes down to the basement, a guy I've wanted to meet for a long time. Eric Brotman is finally here. Joe, that was a lot of steps. <laughs> Sorry. No problem. I'm, I'm here. I'm glad to be here in your basement. Well, I'm, I'm so happy you're here with us. I look at this time of year and I look at back to school and I think, who better to talk to at back to school time than Eric? Because, well, you, you don't talk about retirement. You talk about graduation and and why that change? Because retirement's a word that's been around for a long time, as, as, as you know better than most. It has been around for a long time, and it's actually a terrible idea. The idea of retiring, if you think about the word retire, first of all, it has tire in it. Second of all, in the UK, to retire is to go to sleep. And so in our English language, to retire for the night is to sort of tune out and disappear. And we look at retirement in this country as the end of something. And I really think it should be the beginning of something. You've been a financial planner for 25, 26 years. The world has obviously changed. What's changed in your profession? I mean, one thing, like you talked about, retirement's going to be a lot longer now than I think it was even then, right? But what else has changed in the world of financial planning? I think a lot has changed. Uh, the geography of families has changed. People have migrated for jobs and such, and therefore uh, this idea that your kids or grandkids are going to take care of you when you're older is gone. I mean, in a lot of cases, that just just can't work. So we see a lot of people who really have no support networks in their hometowns anymore and need to make sure that they're planning for that. And that, not to be morbid, but at the end of the day, um, the sandwich generation, which as a Gen Xer myself, I know that I've got parents in their 80s and a kid in middle school at the same time. Oh, man. And that, that means you've got a lot going on and, and, you know, we can't be there for everybody. And I think what's happened is this village concept, this idea that, that families were, were really all tight-knit and could work together and help each other physically and logistically is less likely now. I think it's much more we're on our own. The other thing that's changed is that pensions don't really exist anymore. People don't take jobs for 30 years, get a gold watch and a retirement party and ride off into the sunset anymore. They change jobs every five to seven years. And actually, I mean, to your point, Eric, today, literally today, I was reading some new numbers out that show that millennials are expected to change jobs every three years. So you talk about older people not having their kids there to take care of them. The kid has no idea where they're going to be three years from now. Well, and that affects everything. It affects the real estate markets. It affects you know, housing. I mean, you're not going to put roots down if you might move from Seattle to Austin in three years. And so it's changed the economy. And so has uh, the pandemic, of course. Now you throw in the fact that we can work remotely. You know, our company used to be a, a sort of a local Maryland thing. We now have clients in 33 states and employees in three states. It doesn't make any difference anymore. It's changed everything. And in the white collar world, it's for the better 
because you can take a job without moving. And if you're married and you're in a dual income household, you don't necessarily have to make the tough choice of one spouse wants to change jobs. And now we have to decide if we're moving and if the other spouse is going to give up his or her job. I just think about, though, the angst around some of those decisions and the angst about all the change that happens in our lives now. Does that mean that you're more of a therapist than you had to be 25 years ago? I tell every single client that I am not a licensed therapist and don't have the qualifications to do it, but I certainly am a handholder. I certainly have to be an empath and I certainly have to understand the human condition because the things that we go through, they're challenging and not just the financials. The financials are the easy part. You know, the, the math problem is not difficult if it's what you do for a living. The human part is what's difficult. When you have kids in different stages, one of one of your kids is the CEO of a company and one of them's got a, a gambling issue or you've got special needs issues or you've got a parent who's 103. None of that can be done by algorithm. We're not being replaced by a computer program. You have to be human. But does that feel different than 25 years ago? It does. 25 years ago, it was all about getting to Social Security age. Yeah. And that no, no one's looking at Social Security now as a critical component necessarily of their retirement, if, if they have the choice. From the f- I, and most, most clients would prefer to pretend it doesn't exist because it might not, and they know it. I love at this time of back to school, Eric, that we're talking about graduating instead of retiring. And you've got some great stuff in the introduction of your book that I really want to go over because it's funny to see how much the world has changed. You write that the minister president of Prussia, uh, Otto von Bismarck, in the 1800s, mandated that older members of society would be forced to leave the workforce and instead receive government-run financial support just to get them out of the way, right? Absolutely. <laughs> just put them out to pasture. And then in 1905, William Osler, you write, one of four founders of John Hopkins Hospital, presented a landscape of usefulness, he called it, as follows. Ages 25 to 40, people, you're in the golden years of plenty. Ages 40 to 60, you are, quote, tolerable, by, which means I'm well tolerable, headed toward, by age 60, people are useless and should be put out to pasture because they're no longer constructive. We're clearly in a different place now, Eric, where now you're 60, you're starting the second half of your life. Absolutely. And as pitiful as that sounds, that wasn't that long ago. Right. <laughs> I mean, none of us were here when that was published, but this idea that 60, you became useless in cultures around the world for thousands of years. Who was the most revered? The elders. Who did you go to when you had a really serious problem or where you needed to have the right advice? You went to the folks who'd been around, who'd seen the most. They were the, the wisest members of society. And today we consider them useless? I don't think so. Right. <laughs> You know, I, I think it's perfectly reasonable to leverage the talents that we develop and to continue to grow and learn into our 60s, 70s, 80s and beyond. You know, I had a guest on my show who was helping folks in their 80s find things to do professionally, whether they needed the money or not, just because it was fun. You know, 83 year olds starting dog walking services. I mean, it, it's fascinating, but it sure beats sitting home and watching television. And it doesn't have to be for money. If you're financially independent and you want to volunteer, you want to work at an animal hospital or you want to do stuff with, you know, with children or with seniors or whatever you're passionate about, that's great. But for God's sakes, don't spend 30 years of your life disappearing. It makes no sense. It's a graduation. It's moving on to the next exciting part of your life. You know, what's Joe 3.0 going to be? I know you're in 2.0 already, Joe, because you and I are both in that tolerable range. But uh, but what's 3.0 going to look like when you're fully useless? I don't know. If I'm hooked up to a oxygen machine 
and I'm still podcasting when I pass away, like number one, the ratings will be huge. People get to hear a guy pass away on air. That'll be fantastic. <laughs> but it'll still be exactly what I want to do because this is super fun. But let's go all the way back to people in their 20s, right? Because what we're doing here is applying to graduating, right, from the university. So we've got freshman year, sophomore year, junior year, senior year. Those people just starting out, freshman year brand spanking new at this, Eric, what am I trying to achieve and what's one key strategy to deploy? I think freshman year is where you're starting to find yourself as a young adult. That can mean a lot of things. It can mean 19 where you're dealing with with deciding student loan decisions, or it could be 33 and you're, and you're considering um, what's going to happen in your career, but it's early in your adult life. And so what I encourage people to do, one of them is to take inventory. You cannot know where you're going or how to get there until you know where you are. So in the simplest of terms, it's have a basic balance sheet. What are your assets? What are your liabilities? Are there things you need to do to improve that balance sheet? And are there things you can do right away? So we spend freshman year talking about reducing debt, talking about uh, creating good budgets and good spending habits and good cash management, maybe some basics of risk management. But at the end of the day, it's really foundational. If you remember in college, your freshman year is spent taking lots of different courses and lots of different disciplines. You haven't picked your major yet. It's the same thing here. It's building the foundation and understanding some of the basics so that you have a a good foundation to move forward. Two questions there. Is there a way that you like to help people pay off debt? Is there a, a focus or some strategy that you really like? There's several. Generally speaking, you have to determine which debts are problematic and get rid of those first. Because not all debt is bad debt. Some debt is leverage. You know, a, a mortgage isn't necessarily bad debt. A business loan isn't necessarily bad debt. Credit cards and student loans are, by definition, bad debt. So you want to get rid of the consumer stuff and the the things that either don't have a tax benefit or don't have property attached to them where there's no leverage. And then you want to approach it where what is the most adverse interest rate? You know, we've seen clients come to our office and they're busy prepaying their mortgage because it's the biggest loan they have, but it's at 4% and they've got credit cards out there at 14%. Mm intellectually, they could understand the math, but it felt good to pay down the biggest debt. Well, if you knock out the 14% loan, then you can throw extra money toward the 4% note. So I think it's important to figure out which debts are really the albatross around your neck and then attack those first. The second question is, I see people online now from time to time poo-poo the emergency fund, right? The cash reserve and go, well, I don't need that. I can take out debt or I can sell my stocks. What do you think about the value of an emergency fund? I think there's a great deal of value to have a moat around your castle. And an emergency fund is part of that. Now, an emergency fund doesn't necessarily have to mean that you've got a large savings account somewhere. It is counterintuitive to have $20,000 in a savings account earning nothing while you have a $20,000 bill out there for your car or for some other piece of property. It's ideal to have cash, but it's not critical if you have access to capital. And so what does that mean? That means have a line of credit, a home equity line of credit, or a cash value line of credit for your life insurance, or a securities-backed line of credit for your portfolio. Make sure you have access to emergency capital. Even if you have to borrow it in that emergency, it's important to be able to get to it right away. Do you you ever worry about, though, a 2008 crisis happening again, where that capital just dries up, that access dries up? Because you remember, we thought we had capital, right? And then all of a sudden you get this, I got letters from all my credit card companies going, hey, you don't use your credit very much, so we're cutting it in half. And I know that had nothing to do with me, had to do with really the, the world around me. Do you worry about that as part of the strategy? 
I think it's important to worry about that. It's important to be aware of that, which is why I say it's absolutely ideal to have cash. Yeah. Um, there are certain pieces of property where it's unlikely you're going to lose access to capital. Yeah. Um, cash value lines of credit against life insurance are a perfect example. They're not going anywhere. Yeah. On the other hand, home equity lines, a lot of them were closed by banks or frozen. The best solution is to have no adverse debt, to have an emergency fund, and then to be investing and growing the rest of your wealth. Not everyone lives in plan A. You, you know, as well as I do, we spend a lot of time in plans B, C, and D. Right. So uh, in a perfect world, yeah, that's what a perfect plan would look like. But life's not a game of perfect. To put a point on this, I feel like freshman year is that year when you're looking at all those 201, 301, 401 courses, Eric, and how sexy they are. And you're like, man, I want to be doing that. And you're kind of saying here, that's coming, but do this first. 100%. That's exactly right. If, if you don't have the foundations, you don't have the building blocks, it doesn't make sense to take the real fancy stuff. First of all, you don't know what direction you're going yet. I mean, I don't know too many people 25 who know what they want to be when they grow up. Cause quite frankly, I ask people 70 what they want to be when they grow up and they look at me cross-eyed, <laughs> right, right. but I do I, because it's yeah. a question no one asks us as we get older, but Joe, what do you want to be when you grow up? You think it's tongue in cheek, but it's true. What is the next iteration of you? And it doesn't have to be work. What is, what do you want to do? This is not a dress rehearsal. We're here once. This is it. It's exciting too, because that then can drive everything. Like, you know, it's that Stephen Covey phrase, right? Begin with the end of mine. Yeah. A hundred percent. Sophomore year then. Now we get to declare a major and uh, tell me what we're doing then. At that moment, you're having conversations, important conversations. For example, if you have a significant other or you're contemplating getting married, you have the big conversations of marrying not only your spouse and your spouse's family, but your spouse's credit report and debt and all of the financials that go into that. So software year is about what does it look like to put together two households? It's what to look like and, and what it looks like if you decide you want to have children. Forget the childbearing decisions. I'm thinking more around the financial decisions. What do you need to do to prepare to have kids? A lot of people have said, oh, I want to wait until I can afford kids to have them. Well, guess what? No one can afford kids. <laughs> so ha having children is a wonderful thing. I love being a dad, but no one can afford children. It's a very expensive decision, but you have to have those conversations with your significant other. So I think at this moment, sophomore year is really about starting a life or a family or a um, or, or more than just your basics. It's putting together more than just you. I feel like sophomore year, Eric, was was the year of speed bumps. Like I felt like when I was a financial planner, if I work with people and they were freshmen, they could sometimes save 30, 40, 50 percent of their income, sometimes more. Right. They could save a huge percentage and then they would get married. Then they'd have kids. Then they kind of enter society and they start seeing what the Joneses next to them have. And all of a sudden, this huge savings rate goes to nothing. Or if they didn't have great habits as a freshman, the sophomore year is really what sunk their ship. It's true. Although freshmen take two different paths. One of them is, yes, we've got this abundance. You know, we've, you know, a lot of young people decide to stay and, and go back to their parents' place for two or three years and just build a, a nest egg for themselves while they're get, getting their first job. Hey, don't knock it. The basement is cheap, man. I'm, I'm not knocking it for one second. It's a great financial decision if everybody gets along. However, there's also some who've taken on massive student loans. Yeah. And in that case, there is no savings rate. In fact, if anything, you're working to pay back something that is hard to define in terms of collateral. I mean, we, we really try and talk folks out of taking massive student loans. 
I mean, I, I think it's crazy in this country that at 16, 17, 18, you can qualify for a completely uncollateralized loan. And then you get out and you're getting ready. To, you're thinking about starting a business and no bank will lend to you or you want to buy a house, but you don't have enough of a down payment. And the same banks that were throwing money at you when you were thinking about taking philosophy 101 as a 19 year old kid. Now they won't even talk to you until you've got two years of tax returns and all this history and they, they won't even lend to you. How is it possible to make half a million dollar decisions lucidly before you're old enough to have a Budweiser? Right. I don't get it. Sophomore year is when you say that uh, we're really interested in investing now. First thing people should think about when investing and the complete baloney thing they shouldn't think about, but they always do when it comes to investing. First thing everyone should think about is where's the free money? If you're putting money into an, an employer's retirement plan, at least deposit enough or contribute enough to get the match. I know of no other place where you're going to get that kind of outcome, whether it's the 401k or the Roth 401k depends on a lot of different factors. But in my opinion, the important thing to do is to take whatever money is literally being handed to you, assuming you're going to vest in it. So that's number one. Um, in terms of the foolish things people do, I think people have this tendency to think I don't have enough money to invest. I'm not going to start until I have enough money. Well, money begets money. I think it's okay to start small. It's okay to start with $100 a month into a mutual fund or some, some other bundled security. It doesn't have to be fancy. Just do it. What you'll find is that you're creating good habits. And that $100 a month habit today might be a $3,000 a month habit in a couple of years. And it'll pay for, for the long term. And then the only other thing I would tell folks is don't watch your, your portfolio every day. You'll lose your mind. It, it, it does not make sense to watch it every day. I, I, just just do the right thing. And while time is on your side, ignore it. Just about ignore it. You're not out buying stocks, S-T-O-N-C-K? I am not. I am not. I, you know, I, I'm, I'm a believer in a diverse portfolio. I, I certainly hold lots of different kinds of investments, both personally and for clients. But I don't think slinging stocks and trying to time markets makes a lot of sense. It's crazy, Tuck. You know, Bill Miller, who managed uh, Leg Mason's Value Trust for yeah. years and years and years, was on the cover of every magazine. He beat the S&P for 13 straight years. He was a genius. And in 2008, I believe he had the single worst performing domestic mutual fund in the country. He didn't go from being a genius to being an idiot overnight. It was the strategy worked until it didn't. So I think it's real important to diversify. It's real important to hold lots of asset classes. And it's important to understand why you hold what you hold and for how long you, you intend to hold it. Junior year, my favorite year, because you, you kind of know the ropes. Now you're kind of a pro at this thing. What are we focusing on junior year? Junior year is where you start to have conversations around your wealth. You have potentially the highest income you'll ever have in your life, which means you have some new tax issues that you didn't have before. It's where you start thinking real seriously about estate planning. Not necessarily this idea of who's going to get my wealth someday, but this idea of we have things to protect and people to protect. And, and now we have wealth, which means we need our moat around the castle to be a whole lot better. You know, you, you don't want to build a multi-million dollar portfolio and lose it in a fender bender because you had the wrong auto insurance, like stupid stuff. And so it, it means protecting what you've begun to build. And it means making sure that you have the end in mind. At this point, you should know your number. What is it going to take to hit financial independence? It doesn't matter how old you are. What's it going to take to make sure you can live the rest of your life, whatever that means, not just with dignity, but with joy. And what's it going to take to get there? 
And then how soon can you get there? And and if you want to make it sooner, what do you have to do to, to get there sooner? You wanna, know, and, and that's where you build scenarios. Yeah, I want to make sure that, that everybody gets this because what's important freshman year, when a lot of people, I think, want to know the number out the gate or feel overwhelmed with the number, uh, there's a point that you're implying here, which is forget about the number, just get started, get headed in the right direction. Later on now, junior years, really, you're saying when now we're looking at the Monte Carlo simulations, we're looking at the the probability of success. Well, yeah. And if you use the college theme by junior year of high school, now you're taking your SATs and yeah. you're applying to college. By junior year of college, you're thinking about what your thesis might be or your dissertation. You're thinking about, am I going to go to grad school or get a job? And in what field? Like you're starting to really think about the next chapter before you get there and it's too late to, to plan. Let's talk about taxes for a second. Is there a tax strategy that you see not enough people pay attention to that more should? Yes, there actually are several. In fact, I put out a, an ebook that's available for free at lowtaxbook.com. And it's about the four places where most Americans can put money where it's never taxed again if it's used properly. I'm not going to put you on the spot to name all four because I've never had anyone name all four. People have gotten two or three, but there are only four places that you can put money where, and, and I don't mean esoteric offshore type stuff. I mean, things that just about everybody could do. Four places you can put money where used properly, it's never subject to income tax again. Is the Roth IRA underused or do you think we're starting to get that? I think we're starting to get it. In fact, I heard on one of your prior shows this conversation about the backdoor Roth IRAs and so forth, which is a, a wonderful tactic for the right person or the right family. I think timing your taxation is part of and one of the most important parts of planning. And it's a huge part of your junior year because determining when you're going to recognize income whether it's in a high tax regime or a low tax regime, some of that is related to politics. Some of it's related to the economy. Some of it's related to your life. You know, if you're going to be inheriting money, you might want to force some of your income sooner before you, you hit that wealth point. On the other hand, if you're thinking of retiring at 48, you might not want to pay extra taxes until that time where you can start yeah. um, potentially dripping money out at a lower rate. Yeah. I mean, a 401k, an IRA is just an account with a mortgage on it. You owe money. You owe something on it. You owe taxes on it. The problem is you don't know how much you're going to owe because it doesn't come due until the time you take the money. So if you're 30 and you're putting money into a 401k and you're not going to touch it for 40 years, what's the tax rate going to be on that? And by the way, if you've quadrupled or quintupled or 10 times your wealth and then you're going to pay taxes on it at a rate you don't know what to expect, that could be catastrophic. So it's, it's important to get a real handle on that right away. I like this. And, and that's all based on the end in mind, right? You're not trying to be oblique about it. You're actually saying that this strategy is going to be based. It's going to be different for every individual. Absolutely. It's going to be based on so many factors. Are you married or not? Do you have children or not? Are you charitably inclined or not? Yeah. You know, I'm less afraid of IRAs for people who want to leave money to charity because that's a place you can do it where it won't be taxed at that point. Yeah. Everybody's different, whether you've got philanthropic intentions, whether you've got kids or grandkids. I think it's okay to recognize that we're all different. There's no one size never fits all. The only garment I know of that's one size fits all is a hospital gown. And I don't look good in one. <laughs> By a senior year, I, I actually kind of didn't like as much. There was a little more pressure on senior year, you know? Senior year, kind of that five years before you retire, I think is the analogy here. Now there's some very sweat equity uh, happening. So how do we make senior year really pay? Senior year financially is about answering the question that I asked you a few minutes ago and still didn't get an answer to, which is, Joe, what do you want to be or do when you grow up? You need more than a bucket list. 
So having a bucket list is a great idea, having a couple of things you want to do. But if you have a bucket list with five things on it and you don't constantly refresh it and you retire at 60 and you've completed your bucket list by 67, well, now what? You can still have three decades on the planet. It has to be more than a bucket list. So just rethinking this idea, you, you, you know, getting older does not mean being old. You're only old if you allow yourself to feel that way. And if you maintain your health and if you maintain your standard of living and your dignity, there's no reason why you can't still be active. So senior year is tough. Senior year is, is where you're thinking about things that are more important than money. It's, it's how are you leaving this planet? And is it better than, than how you found it? And have you made an impact? I used to and have that's that's a lot. It, it is a lot, and I used to have problems with some clients coaxing out more than travel and golf. How do you coach realistic visions out of people that have trouble with that? You know, I try to use stories, not as cautionary tales, but just as a, a reference point. And what happens is retirement, when it comes, doesn't feel like you expect it's going to feel right. And I say that from a position of being an advisor to it. I've never retired myself. So I also don't know how it feels. I just know how people have reported it to me. As over, I was going to say, you've had, a, you've had a front row seat a few hundred times. I have. And I've seen a lot of them go wrong. A lot of the ones that go wrong are the people who are miserly during their lifetimes thinking they're going to take those trips later. And then they or their spouse are too sick or they die too young and they never take the trip and they never live. That's a very sad thing. It's an outcome we should all avoid. There's also other people who spend every nickel and are going to die at their desk at 83 doing something they hate. And that's also not a good thing. There's got to be a balance between enjoying your life along the way and making sure you're prepared for enjoying your life on the way beyond the way. It's rare that we regret things in our lives that we do. We regret things we don't do. Yeah. And so this is an opportunity to really think about it. And golf's great. That's fine. If that's what you want to do, be a member of a club, buy a house in Florida on a course. Great. But you can't do that every day. It will get boring. And unless you're finding a way to engage in a much more social or important way than just going out and hitting balls for six hours a day, that's, that's not enough. That's not a life. You know, financial independence is a, is a goal that is worth striving for for everyone. Not everyone will hit it. But the earlier you start, the easier it's going to be. That's for darn sure. If, if you try and be a transfer student and show up junior year, you're behind. People do it, but you're behind. Sure. And it's much better to start early. And that means financial literacy. That means make sure you understand this stuff because it's not taught in schools. You can graduate from a top university in this country and not really know a thing about personal finance. It's shocking to me. And that's what we got to talk about that the next time you're on, because that's a whole rabbit hole. The book is Don't Retire, Graduate. I know one place they can learn it in this book, right? You've Correct. Got, you've got it set out, laid out, perfect for back to school time, by the way. So wherever you are on your journey, and, and you've done something very nice. We have a discount for the stackers out there that might want to dig in and get more. Oh, absolutely. So if you go to bfguniversity.com, you'll find our first two online courses for financial literacy. One of them is the freshman year program for Don't Retire, Graduate, and stackers get $20 off the, the online course. The other one is a basic financial literacy course, and it's free to anyone who'd like to take it. So there's resources out there for everyone. It's good for high school and college kids. If you've got kids you want to, to get some of the basics, it's not a difficult course, but it's full of tips and tricks to build your financial literacy. It's so fantastic. And it's not just put together by a Gen Xer. I know Sarah on your team 
total badass, by the way. Uh, Completely. uh, Yes. Sarah, definitely a millennial generation and really had a big hand in putting this together. Well, yeah, I I definitely owe her dinner, you know, and probably she's going to ask for a raise. So I don't think I'm going to get away with just dinner, Joe. This this one's going to cost me, but but yeah. Nice. And you know what? If you're walking the dog or on your commute, we got you covered. I'll have the link on our show notes page at stackingbenjamins.com. Eric, so happy we finally got you down here in the basement. Watch out for that third step on on the way back up, man. I I heard it creak. I thought it was me. (laughs) It was not you. Sadly, it's every time. Yeah. This is Scott from California. When I'm not hiking at national parks, I'm stacking Benjamins. Thanks again to Eric for hanging out. What a guy. Oh, gee. I love this idea of graduating because I feel like when I was in my 20s, there was so much I felt like I needed to know that I need to know so much that I decided to bury my head and do nothing. And because of that, I was a lot worse off going into my thirties than I probably could have been had I just paid attention to just a few of these easy things that Eric talks about, right? You don't need to know the whole ball when you're in your twenties. Yeah. Keep your debt payments low or non-existent, build the emergency fund, get started investing, get your feet wet, make some mistakes. I mean, freshman year, super important, no matter what age you are. So many people want to focus on all the cool stuff on the back end, like rental properties and HSA triple tax freeness and stuff. And you get so much further ahead by managing the little things first. Like you said, making sure that you're not in debt, making sure that you have emergency money just in case something goes wrong. You know, you can take that other job, you can move across the country, you can do all sorts of different things. And again, Eric mentioned this earlier, but if you want to enroll in uh, Eric's online course that goes even further into the topics that are handled in the book. It also comes with the book and a workbook. The code is stacked. So use code stacked and we'll have our link on our show notes page again at stackybedjamins.com and also in the guide to the show. Let's roll with Haven Lifeline and tackle some of life's most important questions. Our friends at Haven Life Insurance Agency, they put what you value first. FINRA approved text messages. <laughs> it is your loved ones and your time. And that's why they've made buying quality term life insurance actually simple. Head to stackybedjamins.com forward slash Haven Life now to get a free quote. You can hit the pause button and get this done. And man, you're going to feel great because the application's simple. It's online. You get an instant coverage decision. You get this out of the way. You can go on with your life. Do these little important things that don't take, well, life insurance can take a lot of time with Haven Life. It doesn't. Get this out of the way. Spend more time doing what you love, knowing that you're protected. Stackybedjamins.com forward slash Haven Life. Hey, coming up on Friday is our replay of our summer stack event and holy cow if you missed the stack event friday show you're going to get the audio from it and if you were at the stack event i think that some of the stuff that we covered a little dense and definitely worth a replay dusting that off and get down to the basics we spent a lot of time talking about some basic investing comments really not a lot has changed og in the economy I was listening to it earlier today. In fact, fantastic info, but there were a lot of questions for Dr. Apollo Pescu about 
financial planning, and he didn't have time to answer all of those questions. And then we took questions in the second half of the show, and you'll hear that. We still weren't able to handle all those. So today I want to handle one. This is from Stephanie. Stephanie asked this question that I wish we would have gotten to. An 80-year-old widow has $100,000 left and a reverse mortgage, and she thinks she's fine and doesn't want to trim any fat in her lifestyle. What's the way to get through to her that she might not be okay? 80-year-old widow has how much? $100,000. Okay. How much is she spending? See, that's the problem is we didn't get to ask that question, but let's say that she's spending $50,000 a year. Well, she's probably getting Social Security, which is probably 25 to 30 of that. Maybe there's a pension in there somewhere. So it might not be as terrible as you think. The reverse mortgage, if it's not maxed out, could be a good chunk of money. I mean, there's lots of people that have three, four $400,000 of equity in their house. Now, that's not advantageous for the kids, you know, right. if mom has reverse mortgage, but it's not the kid's house. It's mom's house, right? And so she can do whatever she wants with it. And then there's also, there's a very real thing of kind of the go-go years, the slow-go years, and the no-go years. Even if you're in great health, by the time you get into your kind of early-ish 90s, you're probably not doing as much traveling and as much stuff. At least that's what's happened in our family as you did when you were in your 80s and not as much as you did when you were in your 70s and late 60s. So the need for capital, although you need it for maybe healthcare type stuff, those discretionary type expenses start slipping away as well. So listen, if you haven't figured this out yet, 80-year-olds, they got a lot more gray hair than you. (laughs) They're going to do what they want to do. That's what I was thinking. I don't know how you would get through to an 80-year-old. I mean, you could go to a financial planner, you could run the numbers, but is the horse already out of the barn? Well, whether it is or whether it isn't is immaterial. I mean, that's mom's money. Like, she's going to do what she wants to do. Now, the way that I would be thinking about this isn't necessarily from the perspective of how do I convince mom or how do I convince grandma to spend less money? I'm going to start thinking about, like, what's the next thing when the money does run out? You know what I mean? For me, that would require us to help out in some way, shape, or form financially. And what does that look like? And how do I adjust for that? Because it's not like you're going to let mom go get her house foreclosed on and go live on the street. You know what I mean? So you got you to plan for that. Now, now you say, well, I could avoid that if she would just slow down her spending a little in advance. Okay, yeah. But, but you know, I mean, it's yeah. mom, it's grandma. She's going to do what she wants if you haven't figured that out yet. And I think she's earned that ability. You know what I mean? You know, you can have all the best intentions in the world, but your mom's 80 years old. Guess what? You're still kid. You could be the smartest person in the world. You're still you're still her kid. You're still her grandkid. And you can kind of sort of have conversations about it, but I take that little black sharpie and take the word convince right out of your lexicon with grandma or mom. I mean can't do it. It's not possible. You know, uh when Cameron Huddleston was on the show, she wrote a book specifically about talking to elders about their money and also said exactly, oh, gee, what you said and said, instead, you should ask them for advice. And if you start off the conversation by asking them for advice, you can often then steer it into the advice is going both ways. And I remember books that I read a while ago, there was a main character named Joe Leaphorn and Joe Leaphorn had 
this rule, which proved this point, which was the overshare rule. Share something that you're struggling with. And then the other person will feel compelled to share something oftentimes, and more often than not, that they're struggling with as well. And it creates a much more open conversation if you overshare a little bit, especially with an elder. It makes it much less of a confrontation. Convincing feels very confrontational. Why do I feel that Doug's going to overshare in a little bit? (laughs) Well, I think he already did. But hey, I think that if it's an elder, Cameron Huddleston's a great resource. We'll link to her in the show notes. We'll also link to another person, Aaron Lowry from Broke Millennial, who also was a great guest on recently talking about money conversations with spouses, with friends, awkward money situations that you get into. This, I think, also qualifies there. So there's a couple resources. Stephanie, sorry we didn't get to your question during the show, but I'm glad we were able to circle back to it. And uh, you'll all hear the stack episode on Friday. All right, that's wrapping up today's show, guys. So many people to thank. Thank you to all of you for hanging out with us. OG and I and the whole team appreciate the amount of time that uh, you have in your day and the fact that you spend your valuable time with us means a ton to us all. Thanks, of course, to Eric again for hanging out with us in the basement. Thanks to Doug. Doug, man, thanks for showing up. I'm actually having some pretty good comments today. Nice work. Last but not least, if you are somebody who needs better financial planning help in your corner, better communication with somebody not attached to your goals in the emotional way that you are, but can help you put that puzzle together, OG and his team are taking clients. Head to stackingbenjamins.com forward slash OG and that links to their calendar so that you can interface with them and find out. You can set those rules of the road. What are you looking for? What are they looking for? And see if that's a fit. All right, that's going to do it for today. Doug, take it away, man. What should we have learned today? So what should we have learned today? First, take a lesson from our headline. Advice from people online? There's a reason your advisor doesn't post stuff on social media more often. And it's meant to protect you. Sadly, that means more TikTok finance fills the void. Buyer beware. Second, take a lesson from Eric Brotman. Get started on your next semester with your money. You're closer to graduating with your money than you think. You just need to put the work in. But the big lesson? I mean, get this. This place called Paris, France, it's got this thing called an Eiffel Tower. I mean, there's one of those in Texas, too. I didn't know they had one of those, like, way over the ocean. But theirs doesn't even have a cowboy hat on top or anything like the real one. Nice try, French people. To learn more about our guests and for more resources, you can head to our show notes page at stackingbenjamins.com. For more from Eric Brotman, go to bfguniversity.com backslash freshman dash year. And at the checkout, enter the promo code stacked to get $20 off the freshman year course. This show is the property of SB Podcasts, LLC, copyright 2021, and is created by Joe Saul Our producer is Karen Rapine. The show is written by Taylor Stevens with help from Joe and Doc G from the Earn and Invest podcast. After you listen, check out our show notes page written by our website manager and blog editor, Brooke Miller. 
Brooke and Joe also collaborate on a guide to the show and with lots of extras we couldn't include on today's podcast. Heck, they'll also throw in some life money lessons from Joe, and it's all free. It's called The Stacker, and you'll find it at stackingbenjamins.com forward slash stacker. Once we get all of this goodness bottled up, it goes over to our engineer, the amazing Steve Stewart, who helps the rest of our team sound nearly as good as I do right now. Want to talk about the show later? Mom's friend Gertrude is the room mother in our Facebook group, The Basement. She also is our social media coordinator, so say hello when you see us posting online. Here's a weird fact. She and Tina Eichenberg are never in the same room at the same time. For a URL that'll take you right to our Facebook group, by the way, type stackingbenjamins.com forward slash basement. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, reminding you that cupcakes, yeah, they're just muffins that believed in miracles, so anything is possible. So I know on Monday, I faked like I'd just gotten back. I was actually driving back from the UP. That's a fun drive, huh? I loved it. I did love it. Driving along Lake Superior, back from Copper Harbor, after going to Isle Royal. By the way, the one little, we'll call it a resort, but it's these little cabins on Isle Royal, and I'll share pictures on our Instagram feed of what these cabins look like because they were really neat. They were rustic, but they had this cool 50 styling, a little pull-out bed, some bunk beds. Not not super expensive, but the only the only cabins on the entire 47-mile National Park Island. If you're not familiar with Isle Royal National Park, it's actually way up in in uh, Lake Superior, much closer to Thunder Bay, Canada than any point in the United States. It was a three-hour boat ride to get there, as I mentioned on Monday. But let me tell you something I didn't mention on Monday because we had recorded that ahead of time. We're getting ready to come off the island. And by the way, back to the cabins for just a second. I sat with this beautiful window looking out over this water called Tobin Bay. And it's where the, the float planes would come in, OG. And so we would sit and watch these, these seaplanes come in and out with people who are going to be backpacking on the island. And I know as a pilot, just watching those planes with their rear in the water, trying to get up to speed. Pretty awesome. An awesome watching. I haven't done any seaplaning yet. Thought about it. I think that's a different skill, isn't it? Is that a separate license? You need a separate rating. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I would believe it. But anyway, we're getting ready for our three hour ride back and the captain of the boat. First of all, they had us, they had to show up for the ferry an hour and a half earlier 
than we were supposed to. How did they communicate up. that to you? Well, that's, it's funny because we were at the resort. So we saw the sign at the ranger station, but man, if you were, if you were backpacking and there's no signal, like how, how you knew that I have, I have no idea how they communicated that to the backpackers. Cause if I showed up on time for that ferry, it's like, it's like way out there. You're like, I'm out of food. I don't know what to do next. Yeah. You're like, great. Thank you. Thanks a ton. Yeah. But we line up. The captain comes out and the first thing he leads with really confused me. He said, I'm captain so-and-so and I have been doing this for 50 years. I'm like, well, why are you leading with your experience? He said, we have you here an hour and a half early because there's very high winds coming across Lake Superior. And uh, Jim over here is going to be handing out Dramamine for everyone. I've never been on a boat where they're handing out free Dramamine (laughs) to anybody that wants it. And he's telling us that this is going to be a horrible ride, that the winds are out of the Southwest. So no matter how they parse it, the fact that the winds are kind of hitting us from an angle is going to make the ship do some weird stuff the entire way. And it, and it's just going to get worse if we go out later and later. So that's why they, they moved it up because the waves are going to get higher and more and more people are going to get sick and obviously bad things can happen. He gets halfway through his discussion. People are kind of half listening and he stops and he said, how big of a boat is this? Are you guys all helping paddle or? There were about 50 people. The only thing that I've got experience in is the ship that takes you from Mackinac city to Mackinac Island. Similar size, not huge, about 50 people on it. Yeah. But no upstairs. The Mackinac ones have upstairs and downstairs. This yeah. is just downstairs only. Gotcha. As you're about to find out the reason why. Yeah, he stops halfway through. And he said, listen, this is going to be me and you and the biggest of the Great Lakes with some really big waves. There isn't going to be another ship within 30 miles of us. And people started laughing when he said it, because he's being super dramatic. And he stops again and he said, this isn't funny. You need to trust somebody. And the only person that you're going to be able to trust for the next three hours is me. And if you're laughing while I'm telling you this, you don't trust me enough. This is about to be one hell of a ride. And I'm going to give you some advice. Number one, don't get up for any reason. If you need anything, wave your hand and me and me or a crew member will, will see you at some point. We will find out what it is and we'll take care of it. If you feel sick, don't go in the bathroom. It's just going to make it worse. Keep your eye on the horizon as much as possible. That'll make the seasick feeling go away as quick as it can. And all of a sudden it was just super, super quiet. Like nobody said a thing. And this guy was clearly angry. He repeated then. It's you and me in the deepest part of Lake Superior and not another boat within 30 miles. No yelling on the boat. (laughs) So you get out your phone and start playing like dramatic music. Oh man, the the ride sucked. And he did. He went five miles west instead of going south to try to make it better. And it still sucked. I mean, every time you looked out a window and one way there's water and the other way there's air. And then a second later, the other side is all water and the other side is all air for three hours. Well, you're selling it. I'll tell you to me, yeah. like this is, you are definitely selling it. 
Well, I got to tell you what was cool. Like, I think that island's so badass. But when we got on the, and I shouldn't even do this because I'm violating what the ranger said. The ranger said, welcome to Isle Royal. We think you're going to love it here. And if you do, don't tell anybody. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Great place, but uh, not a great, Lake Superior, not to be messed with. Well, stackers, the show is over, but the party is just beginning here. You know why? Because it's Military Appreciation Month, and we are giving out shout outs to all of our friends who have served in the military. And let's point uh, the finger right here at our good friend, OG, who spent time in the military. And of course, we know what a giver he is, even when he pretends like he's being uh, Mr. Surly. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members to help them reach their goals. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate, and you'll see all their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. They've got all kinds of resources on their site, like Best Cities After Service to help veterans transition to civilian life and Best Careers for Military Spouses to support military families. So much going on. Just head over to NavyFederal.org slash celebrate. Take a look at all the Military Appreciation Month offers and their usual offers. Navy Federal, our members are the mission. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender.